0: Are Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers as James Harden makes his Philly debut over the weekend, a pair of impressive games alongside Joel Embiid. Just how dominant does that duo already look together? Are the Sixers now the team to beat in the Eastern Conference? Then we chat with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns with Chris Paul set to miss the next six to eight weeks with a fractured thumb. Who steps up for the Suns? How will that team look just before the playoffs start? Will Chris Paul be ready in time for the NBA playoffs? Then We chat with Ben Beacon of Locked On Wolves. With Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell having the Wolves firmly in the Western Conference playoff picture at the top of the play-in pecking order currently in the seventh seed. Can they claw a little bit higher and cement themselves with a full-blown playoff spot and get out of the play-in tournament? What's different this season for the Wolves compared to last season? Appreciate you for always making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Today's episode is Brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. James Harden making his Philadelphia 76ers debut. And here to break it down with us is none other than Keith Pompey, host of Locked On Sixers. Keith, a couple games under his belt already. James Harden and his new teammates with the Philadelphia 76ers, the new dynamic duo in the NBA between Harden and Joel Embiid. I mean, Harden's the first player ever to drop 25 and 10 in the first two games with a new team. He is the first Sixer in history with a 25 10 15 and 5 stat line. Tied Ben Simmons's career high me you know made threes as a Sixer in one game. I mean, the the storylines kind of write themselves. What is your immediate takeaway from these first couple games with James Harden in Philadelphia? I mean,
1: I would, the immediate takeaway is just um how surprising his players and, 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 and I don't mean that in a negative way. but it's like one of those things you heard all the stories about him, you know, you're, you're hearing that he's not a good teammate, you know, you're hearing that he's a ball hog, even though he's averaging 10.3 assists. But when you look at it, you see a completely different guy. And I know that people are going to say it's over time, you will get a better idea. But 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 um but right now he just makes the Sixers so much better. I mean, Joel Embiid gets everything freely. Guys who uh, can't get to the basket are getting lobs. I mean, James Harden just seems like the X factor and he's defying all the things the critics said that he wouldn't be able to do.
0: Yeah, you actually have the chance to to kind of highlight that question, asking, you know, James Harden about his play previously in Houston, kind of the heavy, you know, the super heavy isolation style of play. Now, I, you know, I covered James Harden myself here in Houston, and I can tell anybody who wants to ask, is James Harden a selfish player? Far from that. He plays the style of game that, you know, elevates himself and his teammates. He averages the double digit assists. He's constantly looking to set his teammates up. And now he has this dynamic pick and roll partner in Joel Embiid, something that he's never had before. in his career? He's had, you know, a talented big man before in Dwight Howard, who is a rim running big. Then he had Clint Capella, obviously, who he helped secure the bag there because he makes any rim running big that plays alongside him look like an all-star caliber talent, but he's never had a talent to the level of Joel Embiid. How does that pairing look right now in these first couple games, Keith?
1: Unstoppable. I mean, if you want to be, seriously, I know that's what Joel said, but he's right. That's how it looks is unstoppable because I mean, you look at it, you know, Harden's doing whatever he wants. I mean, he's just, you know, getting uh, double-doubles, triple-doubles. And Joel Embiid is averaging like 35 points in these two games. And it's happening easy. You know, so, I mean, that that's a dominant pairing. Because, you know, right now there's a lot of teams in the past, they would try to run an extra man at James. Well, if you do that, you're going to have a one-on-one situation with Joel, which is an easy dunk. Right now, if you try to double and triple team Joel, then James is going to make you pay. And then also they they, they spread the ball around, too. So they literally look unstoppable right now.
0: What's your take on how those two have meshed to this point? I know it's, you know, still pretty early on, but what's what's the impression that you've gotten from them as teammates so far and how they've kind of uh, been able to mesh and coalesce, not just on the basketball court, but also off the court, in practices, what they've said about each other, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, you know, right now it's all the, oh man, I love him. He's a great guy type of thing, right? But I kind of believe it. Sometimes you hear it and you're like, come on, man. Like, Like sometimes Ben and Joel would talk that way and you're like... Uh, nah, that's not what I'm hearing, y'all. You know, things like that. Well, here's the thing about um Ben and James. Uh, I'm not Ben, Joel and James. You know, they have a lot of similar friends. Like, you know, Meek Mill, the rapper, and James Harden are really good friends. Uh, Michael Rubin, one of the co-owners of the Sixers, and James Harden are really good friends. Um, Daryl Morey, we know that relationship. Well, these are all three guys who Joel really get along with, too, and have friendships with. So it's kind of like they've always been in the same circles. So I kind of think that, you know, it's one of those things where, yes, they do get along well on the court, but they they like the same people. They've been around each other before off the court. So it's kind of like a friend coming into the, you know, you, 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 you have a buddy, and now all of a sudden that buddy gets traded to your team and you're elated because you always wanted to play with that guy. That's how the pairing is to me right now.
0: Kind of comes back to what James Harden said initially after the trade was consummated and all that, that Philadelphia was always priority number one and things just didn't unfortunately work out that way for him to get to Philadelphia. So Brooklyn Nets happened. Obviously that story has now ended. Now he's in Philadelphia with Joel Embiid, but Keith, there's another guy here that I, I we've got to talk about here for a minute and it's Tyrese Maxey. I don't want to forget about Maxey because he has had a sensational season. He's been Uh, absolutely phenomenal. And life is about to get so much easier for him to wear. I know everybody's, you know, looking at this as like a dynamic duo, a one, two punch between James Harden, Joel Embiid. But I kind of think that Tyrese Maxey, we might have to look at this as a potential big three out in the East. Now for the Sixers, that might be a little presumptuous, a little early to make that claim, but life is about to become very, very easy for Tyrese Maxey. And he's the kind of guy that can flourish with Joel and James Harden facilitating so many easy looks for him.
1: I agree a hundred percent and I don't have the numbers in front of me and I'm I feel bad that I don't, but when you compare what they're doing through their first two games, talking about the big three comparable to when, when uh, Harden was with Brooklyn last year with Kyrie and Durant and the first two games, all three of those guys played the Sixers statistically are way better. It's crazy. It's not even like it, it, it's crazy. So when you think of things like that, it kind of lets you know how good Maxi can be. Now, the one thing about it is, you know, Maxi was always a combo guard who had to play point guard because of Ben Simmons. Well, when you have Harden now, he can go back to becoming that combo guard, and then when Harden goes on the floor, he slides over to the one, right? So right then and there, that, that that's really helping him because this guy is, first of all, no one's really paying attention to him. He's getting a lot of easy looks, but at the same time, he's playing a position that he's more comfortable with as well.
0: Now, Keith, it's it could all just be sunshine and roses. I've got the Sixers pegged as like the team to beat in the Eastern Conference this season. Again, I had that, I made that prediction the moment the trade happened. I looked at just this team on paper. But in your eyes, what is the biggest weakness for this Sixers team, the thing that could potentially ultimately be their downfall?
1: you know right now i think perimeter defense is a struggle um I, I think that you have a guy like uh um Matisse Thibel, who's a solid defender but outside of that i think that some of these guys are going to get tested when they go up against you know Miami Boston you know teams like that with uh elite perimeter players um you know also right now they're trying to find a backup big for for mb um you know, they they, they picked up uh, Willie uh, Cauley-Stein on the 10-day. But right now, realistically, um, uh, Paul Millsap at 6'7 is their backup center. You know, so you just have to see, like, because, you know, in the playoffs, MB's going to play more minutes. But, you, you know, they lost their insurance policy in Andre Drummond. So, to me, that's those two things, perimeter defense, and a backup big, a quality backup big that they can depend on are two of their biggest weaknesses.
0: Are you hearing anything about any names that could be coming up on the buyout market that the Sixers may be looking to potentially pick up and bring into the fold? I know we've got the uh, the cutoff date here very soon for, for teams to be able to waive players and, and make them available for the playoffs for teams that are going to be you know going that route this season.
1: You, you know, I, I think with Colley Stein, they want to see how that works out. You know, they really do, but it's one of those things where it's kind of like a tryout. And there's other guys that you thought would have worked well with them, Tristan Thompson, but he went and he signed with another team, you know. So, um, well, you know, one that, what's the Lopez one, the Lopez brother that plays for- Robert Lopez. Yeah, Robin. You know, he would be a great fit, but it just seems like no one's buying him out. He's not getting bought out just yet. But as, aside from that, you know, I, I think that, you know, Cauley Stein may be their best fit. Like some people were talking about and his freedom, you know, but my my problem with him is on a defensive end, I don't know. He struggles a lot and he really doesn't have a good I mean, He's a good energy guy, but I don't know if he'll be a perfect fit for what the Sixers are trying to do. So I think Cauley Stein is getting a, uh, an extended look and then maybe it could be some people from overseas coming back over.
0: Are the Sixers the team to beat this year in the Eastern Conference? Are they potentially the team to beat in the NBA? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Sixers. Keith, thank you for stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Coming up, the Suns are without Chris Paul for the next six to eight weeks. Who steps up in his absence? Is it all on Devin Booker? How heavily will they be leaning on Cameron Payne and how much does this hurt them going into the NBA playoffs? But first, a quick message for my friends over at Built Bar because if you haven't checked out Built Bar, you're not doing protein bars right. Built Bar is the best protein bar on the market. They're basically candy bars that are jam-packed with protein. So many amazing flavors to choose from, strawberry, cookies and cream, mint brownie, peanut butter, the list goes on a coconut brownie chunk is my personal favorite it's it's the number one built bar every single bar is low cal low sugar high protein high fiber amazing if you're on a keto diet amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit lose a little bit of weight they're all covered in delicious 100 percent chocolate they're not They're not gritty or chalky like some other protein bars out there. They're just, they're honestly the best protein bars I've ever personally had. And you can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your second listen, go check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now to talk about the Phoenix Suns sitting comfortably atop the entire NBA at 49 and 12, a team that doesn't necessarily feel like it's getting the respect that it deserves at this point is Brendan clean of locked on Suns? you can follow at Brendan clean 14 on Twitter, Brendan, we're going to get into the fact that the sun's, you know, first off, it doesn't feel like they're getting the respect that they deserve, at least in my opinion. And I want to get your thoughts on that as far as being like a favorite, a contender this season, but the Chris Paul news, we found out just before all-star break, Chris Paul, the thumb fracture going to miss six to eight weeks. And even on the low end of that timetable, first off, is he going to be back in time for the beginning of the playoffs is my first question. And then secondly, how big of a blow is this to the Suns? I know that they have bought themselves a little bit of like breathing room in the standings. There's probably not a significant worry that they're going to like suddenly just, you know, tumble all the way down the standings. But that said, how big of a blow is this to the Phoenix Suns and just their continuity going into the playoffs this year? Yeah, I
2: was gonna kind of laugh when you said uh, comfortably at the top of the standings. I don't, I don't know if it's comfortably right now. Uh, the Suns are coming off two straight losses now, which is uh, has been a rarity for them this year. As as much of a, of a of a I guess first world NBA problem as that might sound like, it's with the opponents considered as well, the Pelicans and the Jazz. I think you're seeing how much it could impact them if he's not available. I mean they frankly got pretty lucky to win at the level and and be as effective as they were in the postseason last year when Paul was either out or hampered. I don't think that's normal. I don't think any team should expect to do that when their best player is out. They also are dealing with Cameron Payne, his backup, also being out, so that doesn't help either. But yeah, they're not as organized. Guys aren't getting as good of shots as they are used to outside You know, in, in the role-player mix. They're not generating as many threes as normal. The crunch time offense, like all the things... That you would expect when you, when you remove, you know, a generational talent at point guard. But from a standings perspective, I totally agree with you. I, I don't think they are really in jeopardy of losing out on the one seed. Uh, we were recording right after Golden State just lost a game, and and they have not had their stuff together with Draymond Green out. So I think Suns fans aren't panicking yet. But but these two losses are putting it front and center. You know, just how bad it can get if you're not at, at tip top shape with everything else.
0: You mentioned campaign. I'm glad you brought him up. What exactly is the timetable on his return, and when can the Suns expect to have him back in the rotation?
2: So he's an interesting case. I mean, he is supposed to be – he was supposed to be back on Thursday, the first game after the All-Star break of Thursday of last week, and he missed that expectation. That was just reported. That was never something the team put out there concretely. Um, it, it appears that he's nearing his return. The Suns have two days off to start this week. Payne has been, before games, doing sort of a full warm-up using the hand that he uh, sprained his right wrist. So he's been back to using that hand, doing full shot motion, everything. So you would think maybe with those two days he finally does make his return. I would imagine he slots right into that starting point guard spot, and he's sorely needed. I think you also asked me if Chris Paul might miss playoff games. And to answer that question and his timeline, too, uh, I think it's an open question. I mean his thumb it's it's a thumb fracture. So it's the basically the bone where the ligament that is thumb that that moves his thumb around connects to the rest of the hand and that all gets pretty complicated especially with the mobility you need on your thumb. It's on his shooting hand. So they said 6 to 8 weeks. 6 weeks would be basically right when the regular season ends slash you know a week or so afterward. 8 weeks obviously a lot longer than that, and you're really starting to talk about some first round games that are missed. So, everybody, obviously in ph- in Phoenix, is
0: hoping both of those timelines are on the short end. Chris Paul is just never allowed to have you know a regular regular season. I think he, what the only one you can look at is his one off stint with the OKC Thunder, where you know his his very first vegan year, and I, I think part of the reason that he you know found a modicum of health that season was maybe just purely out of spite because James Harden had him jettisoned up to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And he was just so, you know, fueled off of wanting to prove him wrong and prove everybody wrong that he wasn't washed, that he still had plenty of life and longevity left in his career, that he was able to, you know, have a really successful season with no health complications. But again, Chris Paul gonna be missing some significant time. Campaign will absolutely be the guy to kind of steady the troops a little bit in that point guard role. But Brendan, how much of the onus is kind of on Devin Booker at this point to be it? I don't know if it, it just does he just have to go supernova for this team to like, you know, be at the level that it was at previously with Chris Paul in there to kind of make up for his absence? Is he going to be, you know, viewed as more of a playmaker in this regard or is it one where the entire team is just going to have to collectively come together to make up for the absence of Chris Paul?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating question. I don't know if the team necessarily has a great idea of of what its identity is going to be during this time I mean again it's one thing to be missing somebody who is one of your best players if not your best player but we all know and you know from covering him as well Jackson that teams tend to I guess maybe not so much the Rockets but they take the shape of what it is that he does best and so when you lose him you don't just lose a part of your team you kind of lose the fulcrum of it and so I think. The interesting thing we've seen already is that they are starting Devin Booker at point guard, at least right now, while Cameron Payne is still on the mend. So he has been that facilitator. But even uh, apart from that, they've allowed guys like Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson, to handle the ball, run, pick, and rolls. Very, very out of the ordinary. And uh, I mean, aside from the Suns, I mean, we've not seen Jay Crowder be a ball handler. Like, it has been very weird. Um, So I think, ideally... Booker takes on a little bit more of that. You know, he he is a good passer. He doesn't always get to show that. I don't think he's quite at the level of, you know, a starting NBA caliber, like championship caliber point guard, you know, like he's not John Moran or Luka Doncic out there, but he can get that job done. And I think ideally you probably have him doing it a little less than he is right now, a little more than he was before the injury. Cameron Payne can steady that. Aaron Holiday, who they just traded for, can be a part of that equation as well. It's going to be egalitarian. It's going to be a little bit of everybody having to step up. I think they can tread water, and and obviously Book has to be a huge part of that. On Sunday, 37-7 and 7 on 50% shooting. He's playing like an all-NBA player in Paul's absence. It's kind of just figuring out how everything's going to fit together more than anything.
0: Shout out to Sean Coleman of Locked on Grizzlies. As you mentioned, Ja Morant in the same breath of championship level point guard. I'm sure he'll get a kick out of that. But, and some brownie points earned, you know, by you with Memphis fans everywhere. But, uh, as well as, you know, Dallas Mavericks fans with the Luka Doncic mention as well. Look at you covering all your bases, Brendan. Gotta make everybody happy. Right. You just play all play all 29 sides. That way everybody's happy ex- except yeah, who for did I miss? Who did I not say? That's the bigger question. I don't want anybody right. coming after me. Right. Um, no. So let's I mentioned this early on and it, it does feel like as dominant as the Suns have looked in this regular season, you know, just completely waxing teams left and right. Yes. There's the question mark surrounding what happens, what shape this team takes without Chris Paul, but they've been the most dominant team in the NBA this season but it doesn't feel like they're getting necessarily the respect that they deserve as potential championship favorites or the favorite to come out of the Western conference. Even why do you think that is? Uh, it's,
2: it's a tough question. Um, I think part of, I, I think the answer that I've kind of settled on, that makes the most sense to me. And it's mostly from other people telling it to me, because as you know, I mean, when you cover a local team, it's sometimes hard. It's like, well, I talk about them every day. I don't think they're getting underrepresented, but of course nationally, you're totally right. They are. And I think, A plausible explanation is that I think they just got too good too fast. I don't think we had those moments where we came to know them in a national spotlight type of way. They took their lumps and improved and grew, and then you know came back hungrier the next year and got a profile written up of them in ESPN and go do inter. Like it wasn't like that. It was just all of a sudden. Wait, who's Mikhail Bridges and he's in the finals? I mean, he's not a great example. He won two titles at, at Villanova, but who's Cameron Johnson? Who's Cameron Payne? Like what where do these guys come from and I don't know who they are. I don't know their game. I don't know their story. And so I think it's this weird thing where they are in the early early years of kind of being characters in the NBA at, for everyday fans, but at the same time are already in the thick of a title race for the second straight year. So I think it will come. I think you're already seeing it come. The the big checkpoint to me is, do they get more respect in the awards voting this year? Devin Booker did not make all NBA last year. Mikhail Bridges did not make all defense. Monty Williams finished second in coach of the year when that award, very clearly, in my opinion, should have been his. So if you see that stuff come around, I think it'll start to be a good sign. But uh, honestly, Suns fans, I think, are mostly just thrilled to have such an awesome team like... Uh, we had a everybody has a chip on their shoulder when they're bad because you want to hear about ignored you get ignored when you're awful it's like any attention is good the team is great I think Suns fans are okay with it but it's 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 reasonable it's like they don't get talked about as being famous but they also don't get talked about as being like a great team and I think those things are connected so that second part needs to come along for sure because they are for sure
0: the favorites if they're healthy in my opinion It's going to be really interesting to see how this season concludes with the absence of Chris Paul and what this Suns team looks like rolling into the playoffs. And you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Suns. Brandon, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks, Jackson. Coming up, Carl Anthony Towns and the Minnesota Timberwolves look really good this season. What's changed with a cast of characters that are largely the same from last season into this one? What exactly is different this time around? How are the Wolves finding success. But first, a quick message from my friends over at Bet Online because football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest to odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And hey, it's not just basketball. BetOnline has you covered for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage, and information. Head to the website to Day, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you. Bet online where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Always appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Wolves, Ben Beacon, who you can follow on Twitter at BBeacon. Ben, the, the Wolves are good. Can I can I can I cautiously say that this season? I think we can say they're good. Yeah, it it just, uh, let's leave it at that. Let's just leave it as good. (laughs) Right. We don't want to, we don't want to jinx it. You know, the the floor hasn't fallen out from underneath them. There's still one third of the season left to go, but they're 13 and seven over their last 20 games. They're, they're comfortably at the top of the play in pecking order right now, vying for, you know, potentially a, a solidified playoff spot, fighting for potentially a fifth or sixth seed, creeping up on the Denver Nuggets ever so slowly. What has been the biggest you know, reason for the sustained success for the T-Wolves this season? Yeah, I think the
3: craziest thing is that the roster is essentially the same as last year, and a lot of people don't realize that. There's actually, you look at the roster, the top 12 guys in terms of minutes, 10 of them were on the team last year. So you're looking at Patrick Beverly, who's obviously made a big impact, but him and Torian Prince is the only guys that are that are different. So the question is obviously, what's changed? Well, I, I think the biggest thing, number one, is coaching. Uh, Chris Finch is, I think, going to start to get a little bit more of his due as as a really good coach, um, and I think that that's probably the the biggest thing, putting players in better in better positions to succeed. Um, he's definitely been an upgrade over Ryan Saunders, and and both offensively and defensively, schematically, they're far better this year than they have been in in recent years. Um, the second thing is is, and this is related to coaching, is natural player development and improvement uh i mean guys like carl anthony towns he's always been good and offensively he's not really all that different than what he's been in the past but he's much better defensively they put him in a better spot in their in their primary defensive scheme um then anthony edwards i mean he was 19 last year he's much improved this year a much better player he's had some struggles of late i think he's a little banged up some injury issues but um but he's been much improved and then and then the last thing would be and this is this is uh I think this is very real I think we have to mention it is health I mean last year D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns played in less than 20 games together in the games that they played together the Wolves were over 500. Uh, D'Lo's missed some time with some nagging injuries here and there but has for the most part uh, been healthy and and he and Towns and Edwards have been on the court together a bunch more this year and that's that's maybe the the
0: I mean along with the coaching side of things the the biggest difference do you see Chris Finch finishing somewhere at maybe maybe not a, not necessarily a front runner for coach of the year but do you think he should be at least in the conversation and maybe a finalist for the award this year depending on where we we find the wolves you know finishing the season Yeah I mean I think if they
3: I think he'll get votes as long as they at least make the plan. Um, But if they finish in the top six, if they can somehow, and they're now, I think, three back of Denver for the sixth spot, if they can somehow find their way into the top six, I think he's going to be probably a top three finalist for Coach of the Year. I I don't see, again, with virtually the same roster, um, and he'd be the first to say that he's been blessed with a little bit more health than his predecessor had uh, in terms of the team's best players. But um, this team's just improved all the way around,
0: and you have to credit Finch for a lot of that. Now, depending on who you ask, and I say this just, you know, to to you know, with a little caveat in there that I lean, I I believe Carl Anthony Towns is the third best big in the NBA. But depending on who you ask, you may have some say Rudy Gobert is number three. So uh, so let me ask you this, Ben. If you know, first off, do you think Carl Anthony Towns is the third best big in the NBA? If he's not, what does he have to do to surpass Rudy Gobert to be there? And if he is the third best big in the NBA, how big is the gap between him? And Jokic and Embiid, whoever you want to put it, one, two, because those are clearly the one, two in the NBA. How big is that gap between those guys? And can he overcome that gap? And what does he need to do to get on the same level as those two guys just mentioned? Yeah, I think he's definitely the third best big. I think he
3: just does so much more offensively, obviously, than Rudy Gobert. Uh, and and everyone knows how Rudy impacts the game defensively. But Towns towns is now starting to impact the game defensively and and he's much improved. He's bought in on that end of the floor. And that to me is the biggest thing. I mean, I don't know what, what more he could do offensively. I mean, he's already a, a 50, 40, 83 guy. I mean, I guess he could be 50, 40, 90. We could talk about that then. Um, he he needs to, and this goes along with his defense. He needs to improve his um, he needs to to get better at not committing fouls on both ends of the floor. Um, he has the highest percentage of offensive fouls committed of any player in the nba and that was true last year too so if he's always up there in terms of personal fouls and it's something like something crazy like a third of his fouls are offensive fouls um he's improved over the last few weeks and that's part of the reason the wolves are winning honestly because it's helped trim back turnovers um but if he can control himself not get super emotional when things don't go his way in in the officiating uh the in the realm of officiating Uh, And then along with that, continue to improve defensively, like offensively, he's bought into the scheme. The Wolves have moved him around a lot this year to try and avoid getting him double teamed in the post a bunch. They've used him on the perimeter more. They've used him in the middle of the floor a lot more Uh, things that Chris Finch did when he was in Denver several years ago with Jokic as an assistant. and I, I don't know what more he could do offensively. Maybe the assist number can come up a little bit, the turnovers could come down, but it always comes back to staying on the floor with foul trouble um and not committing those extra two turnovers a game offensively because of, you know, getting out of control um, you know, and some of the issues that he has. So if he could just kind of reel that in a little bit, um, then I think he's right there in the conversation with MB for number two.
0: All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Now, Ben, I, I know you just mentioned, you know, the recent struggles as of late for Anthony Edwards, but in your eyes for this Timberwolves team, who is more important, who's more crucial to the success of this team on a nightly basis on in any given game? Is it Anthony Edwards or is it D'Angelo Russell? I know they're two, they're both very important, but who kind of has the edge? Who's more the X factor for the success of this team? it's an interesting question because everybody talks about the numbers the Timberwolves are much
3: better in Delos on the court and and I think all things considered he's probably a a better player all the way around than Anthony Edwards he's just a little more consistent however I to, this is I would still I think go with Anthony Edwards and I think it's because the gap between his floor and ceiling is so high on a night-to-night basis I mean he's been much better this year than last year he was a borderline all-star as it as it is and so is D'Angelo Russell um but like the last couple of weeks Anthony Edwards has scored in single digits um i think four out of the last five games before last night so i guess four of the last six games he had never scored in single digits in three straight games in his whole career last year this year and that happened recently um and the Timberwolves just there's an extra layer of uh of um uh, their offense is so much more dynamic i guess when when he is playing extremely well and D'Lo, you kind of know what you're going to get he has his off shooting nights but he's consistent um, you know there's some nights where he's not as good defensively but but really with Anthony Edwards if he's invisible then you lack that I mean Delo does what he does he'll score 18 19 points he'll shoot a bunch of threes in transition he'll create for others but Anthony Edwards is either invisible um and and missing you know uh, taking ill-advised three-point you know step backs when he should be getting to the rim um or he's unstoppable and he's scoring 35 um and and I think that that, if, if he is lands somewhere on the high end, like he did for the last two months of last season and for a good chunk of the first part of this season, then this team's offense becomes from pedestrian to, to like a top easy top 10 offense. Um, and D'Lo is a little more consistent than Edwards. And I think that that's probably the biggest difference is because, and Edwards is truly like a guy who can score at all three levels. And D'Lo is kind of limited to the perimeter in the mid-range game. He doesn't get to the basket a whole lot. But when Ant is on his game, he's scoring at all three levels. He's getting to the free throw line and he's adding that element that otherwise the Wolves offense lacks.
0: No, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but can you see over this final one third of the season based on their remaining schedule and whatnot? Can you see the Timberwolves kind of separating themselves from the rest of the West play in pack? And, you know, do you have a prediction in mind for where you ultimately see this team kind of falling into the uh, playoff pecking order?
3: Yeah, I think the most likely outcome is that they stay at seventh. Uh, there are a couple games up on the Clippers, and uh, obviously the Clippers have their injury issues that they're dealing with, and they're they're now, I think, three or three and a half behind Denver for number six. Um, they have one more game against Denver. They have the shot at winning the tiebreaker against Denver. Um, we talked on our Western Conference roundtable last week for the play-in teams about the possibility of Denver getting to five, the Wolves getting to six, and the Mavs falling to seven just because uh, of their upheaval at the trade deadline and, and trading Porzingis and just kind of a... a a weird team at this point in the season. And I, I think the most likely scenario is the Timberwolves are solidly at seventh. And, and I think everybody would feel pretty good about that coming into the season. I thought they'd finish an eighth or ninth seventh is nice. Um, but I would say that their next most likely scenario is getting up to six. And I don't know if it's Denver falling out, if they struggle to reintegrate Jamal Murray when he comes back or, or, or if it's Dallas that kind of falls apart and falls into the playing range. Um, but, but I would say that there's a definitely a shot. I'd probably put it at like a, you know, 60 to 70% chance they stay at seven. And then the rest of it would be, I think they get up to six. I think that's definitely a possibility.
0: Right. And the last thing here for you, Ben, what's the latest on Malik Beasley? Any concern on that front is it just day to day. Any major you know, cause for concern with him? Yeah. He played Friday. Um,
3: and then Saturday he missed, he missed the, or excuse me, he played Thursday, and then he missed Friday's game, the second end of a back-to-back with a non-COVID illness. Uh, hasn't been much said since then, so it seems like it was kind of something that cropped up on Friday. And then they had the weekend off, so they don't play again until Monday. They've got this weird, like, back-to-back, two days off, back-to-back, two days off, back-to-back. So their first six games are part of back-to-backs out of the break.
0: Um, so I'd imagine he's, he's back playing early next week. We haven't heard anything otherwise. Awesome. I appreciate it, Ben. You're going to keep us locked on everything Wolves over at Locked on Wolves. Thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Absolutely. Thanks, Jackson. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, brand new Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check out the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe, all of that. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.